Yes, it was, it was a good Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah. And but I want to welcome back some of our new families that attended last week. I, I met you for the first time last week. It's good to see you in service today. And um, I'll tell you what, um, I think God has something incredible for us today. Isn't that exciting? Um, and I, th- I can't help but to know that a lot of the goodness and the blessings come um, as we've been in the study of John. Have you been enjoying our series in the book of John? Um, I know you are because a lot of those baptisms have a lot to do with what we've been studying. And I know it's one thing to hear the word. It's one thing to study at the word. But God wants us to be doers of the word. And we've been seeing that in our church. We're seeing just God do some incredible things. Just those being baptized. There's going to be more being baptized today. Being obedient. I mean, we're going to catch those at 1045 service. You can stay for both if you want. You know, you'll, you can stay for both. I think it would be a good time. But um, we are in the Gospel of John. And actually, we're in John chapter 4. And so, yeah, if you want to get your app out, um, by the way, you can always fill out a connection card right there on your app. You can fill out to let us know you're here. I want to encourage all of you to do that, actually, right? And just tell us you're here. Write a prayer request. We haven't done that in a while. Um, there's some new families. We want to connect with you. And our connection card is the way we do that. Um, you can do it on the app. There's a card, like I said, behind your seat. If you've never filled one of those out, do it now. Do it now. Um, and um, we can get connected with you, get you growing in the Lord, get you baptized. Um, because that's the first step of obedience is being baptized. I mean, that's what Jesus did. In fact, he was baptizing people. We read about there in John chapter 4. In fact, it's a commandment. It's one of his last commandments he gave to us. And it wasn't a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It says to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what you do. You're, you're being baptized. You're identifying. You're going public. That you identify with Jesus' death, that he died on the cross for your sins. And, you, and you're leaving those sins as you repent and you're coming up a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And the newness of life. And that's why we celebrate um, all that. And so we are... Um, going to be sticking, powering through. And I'm going to pick up in um, John chapter 4, verse 3. And, um, and I know that God has a season for us and, um, and what God wants to do for us today. And, and the illustration I want to share with you is what happened yesterday morning as I'm sitting with my notes. I was given, I went and got a cup of coffee, you know, at a, like a local, it was a local Starbucks. You know, many of you are Starbucks haters. I get that. I am at times too. Um, but I, maybe I bent a little bit. And, um, but they're convenient. They're everywhere. And I do have a gold card. And I get free refills. But we won't go there. Anyway, so the girl, she had me here, caught my cup of coffee. And, um, and so she hands me the cup of coffee. And she goes, oh, do you want me to get you a sleeve? Right? Because they can get hot. And I grabbed the cup of coffee. And it was, I go, ah, no, that's fine. You know, it didn't burn my hand at all. So I sit down, I'm, I'm drinking my cup of coffee, and the coffee was uh, a little dry, <laughs> you know, a little weary, you know, it, was, it wasn't tasting very good, and, um, you know, I had denied, you know, she, he offered to give me a fresh cup, and I don't know about you, who does not like cold coffee? Not, I like iced coffee, but there's iced coffee and there's a cup of coffee, and I paid a premium for this coffee, right? And, um, and I, I do it like once a month. No, just kidding, because um, I have another one today. But this was the, maybe this is yesterday's cup. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> and so I, I said, you know what? I'm going to, this, this, this thing needs to be refreshed. This is, this is, this is, this is lukewarm. 
you know, you know and I'm not going to settle for this cup of coffee. And, I, and I, I seen the gal, and she kept looking at me. I kept looking at her, and I went up to her. I go, you know what? You were right. I go, can I get a, you know, a not, I don't need the sleeve, but can I get a, you know, can you pour some warm coffee? Can, can you freshen my cup up? She goes, let me take care of that for you. She goes, no, no, no. And she pours me a brand new cup. I go, you know what? Give me the roast that's just done now, you know, and for all you coffee people, you want it within minutes, right? It tastes different, and I had a refresher, I had my cup of coffee, I had my sleeve, you know, and all of a sudden, the anointing fell upon me. No, it didn't, but anyways, but there was, the, but, but it was, it was, it was, it was nice, it was, it was what it's supposed to be, and, and today we're talking about the woman who came to be refreshed at the woman at the well. You know, and she came, and maybe you came like her. You know, she had been dry, she had been weary, living with, maybe your, your, your faith needs to be quenched. Don't you know that we at any time can simply ask and receive refreshing today in the midst of all the chaos? We're worried about many things. And yet, just as that woman comes, and we're going to read about her story today, that we can be refreshed and we can be watered by something much greater than coffee. We could be watered by God himself as we're going to learn today. So let's go ahead and dive in. Um, verse 3, it talks about how Jesus was, he had just been baptizing some people, and, and he's on his way, and um, he says he's leaving Judea, and he departed again to Galilee. And then verse 4 says he needed to go through Samaria. Some translations said he had to go to Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son. And I want to point out right there in verse 4, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. And I got a little map for us to kind of know why this is significant and why he had to go through Samaria. Because him being a Jew, he would never go through Samaria. No Jew would never go through a Samaria. They would avoid the Samaritans at all costs. And what they would do is they're going through Samaria. In fact, here we are. He said he needed to go to Galilee. And so he needed to have his, many times, there's Jacob's well, and it's a direct route. Now, you would think that he would need to go because it's the smart thing to do. Instead of going around, he would go directly, okay? Because what they would do, they would go around to get to Galilee. But, you see, the reason is that when the Babylonians came and all the Assyrians, they, when they conquered the southern um, kingdom of Judah, they took many of the Jews captive, and they took them out of their land, and they took them out of their land. They, they left the people who they felt were the more underclass of the society. And so in this region here, you have Samaria. And when they inhabited the land, what they would do is they would intermeet, intermarry with the Jews. And as a result of that, they became a different group of people. In fact, many of them called them half-breeds. They would call them half-Gentiles and half-Jews. And, and because of that, there was a, a, a kind of a conglomeration of two different religions. They almost made their own religion themselves. In fact, people called it Samaritanism because they mixed their Jewish beliefs with their pagan beliefs. And these people of, of Samaria, they, they, they thought that they, what they were teaching was preserved from the original text, that they had, they had a true understanding of even the scriptures. In fact, they made up their own version of their Bible, but, you know, when it comes to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And they would add many superstitions. In fact, they even added, they didn't want anybody going to Jerusalem. So they said, you know what? We don't need to go to Jerusalem to come and worship. We'll build our own temple. 
So they built their own temple of worship. And sure enough, um, even 100 years before Christ, that, that temple got burned. So you can see how there was a lot of division between and animosity between the Jews and the Samarias. In fact, in fact they, would, um, they would consider when Jesus makes this statement where he had to go, why in the world would Jesus, being a Jew, go to Samaria? Well, because he's Jesus. That's why. Because he needed to go. Why? Because why he came. He came to save that which was lost. I mean, that's most important to him. You know, Jesus doesn't pick and choose who he gets to witness to and who he gets to love on. Jesus loves all people. Nothing's going to keep Jesus' love from anyone. And so it doesn't matter what background you are, what religion you are, what race you identify with. It doesn't even matter what you identify with when it comes to your sexuality, whether you be a woman or a non-woman, if you consider yourself binary or non-binary. It doesn't matter how, what, how you recognize yourself to be. Jesus loves all people. Amen? He loves you. But when it comes to going through Samaria, for Jews, that would be the most uncomfortable thing to do, to associate himself with maybe those people. But sometimes Christianity is not about comfort. It's not about ease. It's not about what you prefer. It's not about being convenient. He's modeling something for all of us. It's all about us going into a lost and broken world and reaching people. And I wonder how many people are in our world that fit that description who are lost. People that we wouldn't prefer to associate with in our circle of friendships, in our neighborhoods. You know, many times as Christians, believers, we kind of typically, remember, these are people he wouldn't associate. But many times people associate with the same circle of friends, the same group of people. You know, we go to the same Starbucks, you know, sit in the same seat. And we get comfortable with our own surroundings. You know, many times people call them, you know, your own clique, right? And I'm all for cliques because people naturally gravitate toward things you're interested in, right? You have natural interests. You know, different groups, different age groups, different. But a, a, a clique that I'm okay with is a clique that is growing, that's reaching out and reaching more people, right? I mean, I could come from the 80s, and so in the 80s, we would have our little crews and clubs, you know, and we were called charades, you know. We came, and we had our names, and we had parties, and we'd come in, and we'd go, man, charades is in the house, you know, and we're about identifying with our identity and who we are. That's why we have connect groups, to get you connected and grow and do life with. But notice it said he had to. And the reason why Jesus had to go to Samaria, and we're going to learn the story, is he had what we call, back, they don't use that term anymore, but a DA. What's a DA? A divine assignment, right? He had an assignment. He had an assignment with this woman. And he, because he went, because Jesus went to Samaria, you know, he went against what we would call the norms of the culture, a revival breaks out. This whole community is transformed. And so we have this call to go into the world. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an option, it's a commandment. And so he goes to this place and it's called Sakar. And the scripture says that what was there at Sakar was Jacob's well. And it says that Jacob, as he goes to Jacob's well in Sakar, he was wearied. 
He was from his journey, and he was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, it says that he came to Jacob's well. I think the reason why the scriptures say it's not just a well, it's Jacob's well. And when you think of Jacob, you probably think of, you know, the, the kind of the fathers of many nations, right? You think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, the, found, the fathers of our faith. And when it comes to the city of Sakar, it's very significant. Because if you look at the Old Testament, that same city is also ancient Shechem. And when you think of this location where Jesus is encountering this Samaritan woman, it's, it's a big deal because this is the capital of Samaria. And if you've done your homework, if you have some rich history, you can understand if you've ever been to the Holy Land, if you go to Israel, you want us to join us, you can walk these lands yourself and learn all the incredible history of Shechem or Sakar. I mean, it's here in Samaria. This is the place where God appears to Abraham, right? I mean, this is the place where he says, listen, this is the place that Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many what? Nations. I mean, you read about this in Genesis 12. He says, this place Shechem or Sakar. He says, listen, to your descendants, I'm going to give you this land. And it's in the same land that he built an altar to the Lord. I mean, it's the same location where Jacob returns with Laban after serving with his father-in-law for many years. And he builds an altar to God there in that land. And he calls it El Elohi. It means the mighty one, the God of Israel. The same place. I mean, this is the place where you know, we see about this plot of ground where God gave um, Joseph, you know Joseph, the guy with the really cool jacket? And by the way, I had a really cool jacket, and my jacket wasn't coat of many colors, it was red, and it said charades in the back, right? And so all my charades people watching online, you might get a kick out of that. But Joseph had a cool jacket too. At the, at the beginning, I didn't know it was biblical to have a cool jacket like that, but it was. But this is the place where Jacob was sold into slavery, the same location. Not only that, it's the same place where they said, take Joseph's bones and bury him, get, bring him back from Egypt. Remember, he escaped from Egypt, and he, God used him to free the people. And it's the same place where he says, listen, that's where my bones are to be buried. So when you go to Shechem, you go to Sakar, you only find Jacob's well, but you also find Jacob's, you know, I mean, Joseph's bones buried in that city. See, in the midst of all this rich history, Think about God's covenant, God's promises. The people strayed from God. There's times when they were seeking the Lord and times they were not receiving from the Lord. And can I say that is true today? Not just about Shechem, but up the ground that you're sitting on today. The place where you are dwelling now the great state of California. The great state of California. There is some incredible history on this ground. If you do your own history, what God has done in this place, in this state, many have given up on this state. Many have left this state. Many have left this ground for some maybe pretty good reasons. But God has a different report and assignment for Shechem, for Sakar, and for this place. In fact, this ground, when we've seen even early this movement, this church, 
you know, our, <laughs> when it comes to Amy Simple McPherson and the Four Square Gospel, we're, even, we're talking about the talk is recession, the talk is Great Depression. Yet when it came to revival that broke out in the land, in one of our most darkest times, it was the church that rose up that God did in revival and what you're seeing in your seats today. Guys, that was in Los Angeles, California. People were healed. Hospitals were en- empty. We go even earlier in the early 1900s when there was division and secular. Talk about racial division. God's spirit poured out on a little street in California called Azusa Street where the Holy Spirit fell and then a Pentecost came. In fact, that movement is growing. Do you know today, because God's Holy Spirit out, they recognize that there in that state of California. It is still going on today. In fact, it's the fastest growing movement in all the world. Where we have the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pouring out His Spirit on people. And you're, you're, you're a fruit of that. Yes, that happened on California. You can go back even recent days. Some of you come back from the old Chuck Smith, Jesus people movement. Right? We got some, yeah, we got some Jesus people movement, right? Where the, there was people, but God called these people, these, maybe you, some of you ameners used to have longer hair back then, right? You know, and so God poured his, give me an amen, yeah, that was me, you know, where they all are welcome. And many campuses were transformed. A powerful ministry under Pastor Rick and Carol Gana was born during that movement, amen? And a church was birthed called the Cornerstone Church. Right here in, believe it or not, California. And then down the street, we had a movement with John Wimber where people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the street of La Palma, all these churches started popping up. And now all of a sudden, they call the street of La Palma Church Row. Why? Because it's primed for revival. That's, I mean, I mean, we were at the beach baptizing people. We were out there on the, on the ocean, the open skies, and God gave us a word at the beach that, listen, God's not done with California. He's looking for people who worship. Well, I'm getting, I got to get to the text. Okay, come on, hold on. Sorry about that. I mean, I got to get going here, huh? I'm sorry. I get a, I'm not straying away, you know. But he's, he's but, but is, is that true? There's people's names written underneath your, your seat. You know, who are you don't name to? We prayed for this place to be a, a place where people dwell, people who come to the Lord. And I get it. Many of you are tired. You're weary. You're beat up. You know, we're losing ground, especially in California. And if you're sticking around, you're probably one of the most weary, tired people. Who say, yeah, I'm so glad to be able to call. I'm resting. Well, you know what? Jesus didn't back down. He took ground. And I love it that he says that when he came to the, to the well, he was tired. Don't you find comfort in that? He was tired. He, under, he was weary. And I get it because, you know, I mean, a lot of us, maybe you feel tired. You're weary. And you can find comfort that Jesus understands that. Because he shows his humanity. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. He recognizes, he sympathizes with us. And so she came, and you notice he came at midday. That was about noon. Why didn't she come? Most people came for water in the morning. But yet she wanted to avoid all people. We're going to notice about her shame. She didn't want to encounter anybody. She didn't want to encounter anybody, let alone Jesus. And she comes, and she encounters him, and here it is. It says, this woman comes to draw water. And so Jesus says to her, give me a drink. It says, for his disciples had gone away into the disciples to buy food. And I find that comical. So they, he says, give me all, how many disciples does it take to go get some groceries? Let's be real, right? 
It said they all, and I, I've seen some video, I've seen some, you know, they, they all, all the disciples leave. Now, if, if there were some women around, they probably could have sent one person to the store and come back with some groceries. But it took all the guys. Everybody had to go. Everybody had to go. And, and that's true. Guys, I get lost in every single grocery store. I go, where is this stuff at? You know, I was, and so all the disciples leave them. And that's kind of a fun fact. But it says here, it says, this woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink, a woman of Samaria? She even gives a point, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I like to point out, not only do they have not Jews of Samaritan, she was a woman. You're not supposed to even talk to her. You know, they didn't have that kind of place in society. And we recognize, and we, many of us know that some people say this woman, she had been living out her days perhaps in shame, regret, hardship. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And what I love about this story is Jesus is not going to quickly start, you know, witnessing to her and preaching at her. He, he, he builds this conversation around something practical. He's building a relationship. He goes, give me a drink around water. Something that's in common interest. And we need to do that. We need to connect with people. Be generally concerned with people before we start kind of pointing fingers and, you know, giving them the business and telling them why we're right about everything and everyone. But again, th then things get really blown up here. This is where it really gets fun. And by the way, what I find interesting is that in our text, Jesus never gets a cup of water. Poor guy, you know? The guy, the guy never, gets, he never gets the water. And so he says he won't give her the water, by the way, unless she asks for it. Like my, my experience at Starbucks. You know, I had, you know they, they offered the cup. Just because you've been offered the drink, you have to make a decision to receive it. It's not enough just to be offered it. And she's hoping that she would not just take this cup, but this is cup is going to satisfy all her needs. And, he's, and Jesus is going to engage in these questions. He's using his tactics. A little plug for our outreach group that we have, you know, engaging conversation. We have a, a class, a, a team that goes out and we model this every single month. I'm not sure, if is, is there one going on today or is it... In the, in the classroom next week. You can find that information on our website, okay? Or talk to Mike happens to be here. Talk to Mike. Okay, so here we go. She uses, he uses his, her, his tactics. So in John chapter 4, Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everybody say living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? I mean, this is the fountain of youth, right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. So here he is. He's gearing up to, he's tired, he's weary, he's gone out of his way. He's in this uncomfortable situation. Out of his deep love for her, he reaches out to her, and all she does is push back. She pushes back. She don't, re you know, she wants to get into it with him. How do you do when you put all this effort in and you know you're, Jesus is right and people give you pushback? I mean, are, do you get offended real quickly? When you, you know? How do you respond? Do you get angry when people push back on you? Do you start to get a little, do the guns come out? You know, you guys, I've shared my story. Sometimes they, my nickname is Rocket Man. 
Because if you push me, push back a little bit, I'll, I'm coming back, you know. But not Jesus. You see this in social media a lot, don't you? People going at each other. And she goes, who do you think you are? You don't, you don't got anything to draw water with. You know, I think that um, my generation is the last of the old school witnessing days. The days that you'd go out and you'd have a track and you'd come with your four spiritual laws and you'd go, have you considered spiritual matters, you know? And you'd engage in these conversations. Nowadays, you just bring up Jesus and you just get the business. You know, this world of now. You know, they want answers now. What does life mean now? How am I going to pay, pay my bills now? And people are so aggressive to get into heated debates and arguments. And notice Jesus is offering her something that will satisfy all her needs. And all she can think about about her needs is to respond in the natural. Right? We so often give natural responses to spiritual needs. And that's what this woman is doing. And I think we're guilty as well is we pursue natural solutions, then this morning, God's offering us a, a drink, a true living water. But notice Jesus is patient with her, and he says to her, everyone who drinks the water, your water you're talking about, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. He says the water I give him will become in him, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, and this is praise God, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. And this is the first time ever in, in God's, John's gospel where Jesus is going to reveal himself. He doesn't reveal himself to the Pharisees. Hey, who is this guy? He's, he's quiet. But to this woman, right, the one who's marginalized, the one that people have forgotten the least, he reveals himself to him. You know, when I think of, I've, I've shared this many times, when I think of Jesus' ministry, if he was actually physically here walking the earth, what would it look like? I don't see him, like, pastoring a huge, like, mega church or even having, like, a big entourage and, you know, necessarily filling stadiums. But I do picture him being this amazing YouTube guy that people are following. He's got millions and millions of followers. And he's reaching people that are blowing his mind, and, he, and his ministry is just so effective that he's just loving on people and and he's gaining followers in, in, in ways in which that we wouldn't necessarily understand, but we should understand. We should understand. Because what happens here is that Jesus is effective, and she makes the biggest thing is that she asks. And because she asks, she receives. And what does this living water look like? Jesus gives her a word of knowledge, Right? He speaks, starts speaking into her life. And notice what this, this living, this first fresh of water looks like. He goes, okay, this is it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You are right in saying I have no husband. And here it is. He, he has a word. You have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And then she says, you know, what you have said to be is true. And she goes, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> right? One river, one word, one truth, one gift of the Spirit, right? And now, and I believe what Jesus is doing is not just addressing her sin, because let's be real, this, 
many people say this woman had shame, dread, you know, she slept around, but perhaps she would have been widowed several times. And many times, because she had, had no sons, she would be considered an outcast. You know, there, there could be all kinds of reasons. But what Jesus, I believe, is addressing is not only whatever sin may address, but her shame and her regret. The core of her issue. You know, many people, it's because of our shame, our embarrassment. And sure enough, she talks about, about this place at this well. And she goes, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, which would be Mount Gerizim. And you, you Jews, you say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Again, there's this two different opinions of Samaritanism and who's, where the proper place of worship is. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So he's basically going to tell them that, you know, yeah, wherever you are in the world, you don't necessarily have to go to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. But notice he doesn't shy away from a theological debate because he does open up the scriptures and give her truth. And he tells her, listen, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Notice he's not, a, he's not afraid to maybe offend her. She's saying, listen, you know, I love you. I got this water for you, but let me give you some clarification about the Samaritans and the Jewish people. That it is true, the Jews have the correct Torah, he's saying. He's saying salvation is of the Jews, and Jerusalem is the right location to come and worship. And we can't be afraid to speak the word of God, right? And sometimes the word of God, and, and Jesus doesn't shy away. He goes, listen, th this is the truth. Jerusalem is the place where God has established a place of worship, not, not, not here. But, he says, and this is the point of, the, of what he comes, he says here, I know the Messiah is coming, she says. When he comes, he would tell us all things. And he reveals it to herself. He goes, you know what? I speak to you in Hebrew. Because I know we can get into this quarreling about scripture, about where to worship, but right now, no, it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. Because the Messiah is coming and he's changing the world. And the Bible says that at this point, the disciples finally come back from, from um, they come onto the scene and they come back from shopping and they see the, the woman and yet no one acknowledged what Jesus is doing. And he says, what do you see? Why are you talking with her? Of course, they might have issues with Jesus. But then Jesus, this woman comes to this understanding of who Jesus was and notice how she Respond. It says the woman, in verse 28, she left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the man, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. What does this woman do? She recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the living water. He, she drops everything. Her water pot, that's her nourishment. The water pot represents her identity. It's everything. And she drops it all. When you encounter Jesus, nothing else matters. When you have an genuine encounter with the living God, and, and you know Jesus is calling you, you drop everything to serve him, to give witness. And that's what she does. She drops everything, 
And I'm praying for a generation, for a time where people, they drop everything to pursue Jesus and make him Lord of their life and be that witness. And that's the kind of what I want to happen now in this moment. Maybe you're in that moment where Jesus, that you're not dropping. You have so many things competing with your time. You have shame, guilt, regret. You're really tired, but it's time to say, you know, I'm leaving it all behind. That's why baptism is so significant. You're coming out a new creation. And so the, they come back, and, and again, I love this because Jesus is talking about this living water. He's talking about never thirsting or hungry again. And sure enough, the disciples come back, and they still don't get it. And all they're focusing on, instead of what's happening in the region, people are coming to the Lord, a woman just left her water pot, and all they could think about is, can someone get Jesus some food? Again, these are Jesus' disciples. They should be coming alongside, ministering to her, but they don't, they're missing it. They're so consumed on what they think, how maybe church should go, that it says they are quarreling about getting Jesus something to eat. It's kind of like Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. And then Jesus responds, and listen, I have food that you don't understand. He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what sustains me. That's what nourishes me. And then Jesus says, listen, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? He goes, be safe to you. He goes, lift up your eyes. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Now, is he talking about food here? No, he's not talking about food. He's talking about people. And I sense that what she's going, and we're going to read, she goes and she gives a witness, and all the people start coming to hear from Jesus. And they're all coming to the Lord. He goes, listen, disciples, lift up your heads. I'm doing a work here. I want you to see the, the field is white with harvest. Revival is breaking out. The time is now. Look at what's taking place. Be alert. Be on guard. Right? And he gives them an understanding of being an evangelist. And maybe you don't consider yourself to be an evangelist or a person who's a witness. When you think of the evangelist, people who are coming to the Lord, the person who's up here leading someone to the Lord. But he listens. He tells them, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. His eyes sent you to reap for what you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And so he says, listen, see all these people that are, that are coming on this mountain? They understood the history. The prophets have came. The law has came. The word of God has came. Some people, they, they plant. But now is the time for harvest. Who is more important, the sowers or the reapers? Both. Years have been, been there's been sowing. And he says, you have actually going to, we all have, all of us have opportunity to be a witness. You, you may not be the person who leads someone into the center of prayer, but all of us can love on someone. You can give a cup of cold water. You can be a witness. You can love on someone on social media. All of us have a chance to sow good seeds. And we learn that in our tactics, in our evangelism class. People think that evangel we go on the outreach team, we're going to go out there and, and get in people's face and start talking to them. No. You might just be out there and just maybe be the person or, or a person and be the person. Do we love our, our parking people, right? 
the field for Larry and for Charlie that welcomed them in, right? Because they're sowing seeds, and, and all of us, you know, you're, man, that guy's standing out there in 105 degrees. There must be a God, you know? And, and, but, but all of us play a part. We're all part of the body of Christ. And many, but maybe most time is spent sowing. Most of your days are spent sowing, being faithful, coming to church, being a witness, encouraging someone in the Lord, sending that note, praying for someone, praying for revival, praying for their awakening. That's why God says, I'm, I'm waiting for the people to come and to ask me for a drink. Growing ourselves, that's, that's, what, that's what he's encouraging them to do. Maybe you feel like you're not being an effective witness. Well, you know what? The enemy is defenseless against your prayers. Amen? And if we can become a praying church, but also a praise, but not obviously not even aware of doing the word at the same time. Because there's power in your testimony. And no one's beyond God's reach. Amen? No one. And embrace God's people that someone would ask. Because when the Samaritan comes to him, they urged him to say this. He stayed there for two days. And because of this one woman's testimony, because she asked, because he received, it says that more believed because of his word more believed and then the woman said now we believe not because of what you said for we ourselves have heard of him and we know that this indeed is the christ the savior of the world oh man who's ready for a drink today who wants to receive you know from this well that's the invitation God says, listen, I'm going to give you this water, this living water. That you too can be a witness and we can be sent out. But, will, but, but are you thirsty? You know, are you okay with just a cup of lukewarm coffee, you know? Are you just tolerating it, kind of dry? And not coming to the well of living water? And that's why on the last day when at Jesus' feet, he stood out and he, and he said, the Bible says that he cried out. Why was Jesus crying out? Because he goes, listen, I got this water I want to give out and nobody's taking it. Nobody's receiving it. It breaks my heart. He says, if anyone among you is thirsty, let him drink. So I want to respond in that context and maybe I want to ask the worship team to come on up and I think we have a, we have a song that we're going to sing, and I'm, I'm expecting that our prayer rooms are going to be filled today because maybe you need to be refreshed this morning. Maybe your life is in chaos. Maybe you're, you're maybe lukewarm. God wants to bring renewal to your, to your faith, to your understanding, and he, he's ready to say, I want to be that witness. And I want us to pray. I want us all to pray. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. In fact, maybe if you want for the privacy of this moment that jesus is coming down and i picture us you're you're saying you know pastor joe i, I walked in here with a, a really bad cup of coffee and i'm not speaking about coffee but just a a dry and weary soul maybe you have shame and regret regret maybe you identify with so much in the story maybe you're like the disciples and you've been focusing on natural solutions instead of Seeking out the one who can be the deliverer of all. If you're here this morning and you, you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you want to take a cup of that living water. That just as 
he reveals himself to the woman. He's revealing himself to you. He says, I am he. I am the lifter of your head. So if there's anyone here that wants to receive from the cup, just lift your hand. Lift your hand. Is there anyone here? Thank you, Lord, for these. Just receive from the Lord. Just receive from the Lord and asking him to pour out. Maybe pour your hand like a little cup. You know, I do that with the little kids sometimes. Say, just make your hands a little cup to receive that living water, which, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to come in in you and dine with you. So, God, I pray you fill us full, that we receive forgiveness. Maybe for you, that's acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, that you're a new creation, the old is gone. The new has come. The Bible says, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So as we come to our feet in worship, let's come in newness of life, receiving from the well. The well that is available to us each and every day. Receive of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in his spirit. Overwhelming to be a witness. And Jesus, we do, Lord, we pray for California. God, we pray you bring revival to this land. Pour out your spirit out, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Do a work that only you can do. We want more of your life, more of your spirit. And the Bible says if we humbly come, we ask that you will bring healing to our land. Bring healing, Lord. We come to you this morning. Amen? Let's stand and come and receive from the fountain of life. And if you would like some prayer, I'll be up here if you want to come during as we, we close. And I want to encourage you, the prayer room's open. We'll have the ministry teams up here ministering with you. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Let's receive.